Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Lord God, as we come to your word, uh, we ask that you would open our hearts to receive what it is that you might say to us this morning as we wrestle with what for some may be difficult passages or familiar passages. Uh, Lord, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would teach us uh, your way, what it is to follow you uh, with all our hearts and what it is to follow you with generosity and what it is to render ourselves to you, God, um, in heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning. My name's Chris Myers. I'm one of the priests here. And let me put you at ease. We are 100% going to talk about money. Uh, a couple weeks ago in our membership class, I was talking, the question always comes up, where do the Sunday readings come from? How do you pick the Sunday readings? And we have a book, the Book of Common Prayer, and we have a set of readings called the Lectionary that set uh, the readings for each Sunday and group them thematically. And uh, dealer's choice this week was these passages, Malachi 3, uh, Psalm 96, and Jesus' uh, teaching about rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So what I told the membership class is one of the things about the lectionary is that it puts things together that you wouldn't necessarily put together on your own or it chooses things for you that you wouldn't necessarily choose on your own. And yet, these are all God's words. So our hope is that maybe even talking about a difficult topic like money uh, can be a moment where God uses his word to work something within us. Because as I was thinking about this and preparing for it, I recognize that as a church, there's really two levels at which we can talk about money. And the first level is just the reality that we are a nonprofit entity that is reliant upon the donations of the people who are a part of our institution to make things go. That's just how our system works in the United States. And we're not a state church. We are a nonprofit entity and we are reliant upon donations. That's one level at what, which to talk about money. And we reflect that in our bulletin. Our vestry every year in prayerful consultation with the staff and clergy sets a budget based on where we think we are as a, as a church, where we think God is calling us. And that's in the back of the bulletin and you can see it on page 11. And we started to reflect these totals differently because we want you to see what we're spending each month and what we budgeted or expected to spend each month and then also what we're bringing in each month because we want to be accountable to you and say, hey, we set a budget and we're trying to stay within that budget but also this is where we are and as a snapshot right now, we're a little bit behind and that happens, things ebb and flow and it's just information that you can take and meditate on and decide if there's anything that you might need to do about that. 
That's one level to talk about money. That's not the level I'm gonna talk about money today. The other level to talk about money is the level that Jesus addresses in this gospel passage and throughout the gospels in his teaching, which is the level of the heart. Because there is an inextricable link, according to Jesus, between our treasure and our heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just in my own personal faith journey, I heard a lot, and I am not exaggerating, I heard a lot of sermons about Malachi chapter three. (laughs) And it got a little wearisome. But within the household that I was growing up in, my parents practiced generosity. And for them, the standard was the tithe, and then they had the category of offerings. We give 10%, and then anything over that is an offering. That's one way to, to think about it. And no matter what was going on in our household, whenever it was easy or whenever it was hard, they were generous. And that was just baseline, and that's what I was taught. And I know many of you were taught that as well. So what does Jesus think about Malachi 3? I think Jesus' answer to Malachi 3 is yes and. Because the standard of the New Testament is the standard of generosity. Not necessarily the tithe. The New Testament doesn't explicitly teach the tithe. It teaches sacrificial giving and it teaches the standard of generosity. Jesus, as a prophet, stands in continuity with Malachi and Isaiah and all the rest. But his answer to them is yes and. Jesus says, I come to fill up the law. And when we see him teaching about things in his Sermon on the Mount, what does he do? He says, you've heard it said X, but I say to you Y. And what does he do? He takes an external behavior like, well, don't murder, and he internalizes it. Don't even have these hateful thoughts. Don't say with your mouth, you fool. It's not just don't commit adultery, it's don't even lust in your heart. What does Jesus do with the law? He asks us to internalize it. And so it is with our possessions. So when it comes to money as a matter of the heart, we're not trying to solve a math problem. How, not necessarily how much. At some point we have to ask that question, yes. But before that we have to diagnose where our heart is. So I wanna talk about um, Jesus is teaching on money at three levels. Or another way to say it is that when Jesus talks about money, he says that it's a matter of the heart, it's a matter of discipleship, and it's a matter of freedom. A matter of the heart, a matter of discipleship, and a matter of freedom. Probably the most famous passage where Jesus addresses money is in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, In Matthew chapter six, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's the key phrase. There's a conduit, there's an intimate connection between our resources, our possessions, and our heart. And where you want your heart to be, you put your treasure. If you want your heart to be in heaven, you put your treasure in heaven. You invest in the kingdom. And then Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So some translations have money. ESV has money. But the word is mammon. And 
I think it's the better word. Because mammon, in that sense, Jesus is calling out a false god. And this is why I say it is a matter of the heart, because worship is always a matter of the heart. Jesus is after our hearts. God is after our hearts. And Jesus is a master of human nature. And what he understands is that we are people who desire to serve and we desire to worship. And one of the things that we are most tempted to worship is mammon. The system and structure of our world that tells us to go for more and more and more and to acquire and that enough is just a little bit more. That's the system of mammon. Jesus knows that we are often tempted to worship money, so he personifies that money as a god, mammon. And the topic of money is so fraught precisely because it is a matter of the heart. I didn't realize until I was married that I had an emotional relationship with money. Maybe some of you have had that experience. I thought I had a very rational relationship with money. But it turns out I had an emotional relationship with money. I thought money was for certain things, to make me feel safe, secure, whatever. And maybe my wife thought it was for other things and we had to have a conversation at the level, not just of our budget, but the level of our heart. What is money for? What do we value? Jesus understands this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it is deeper than balance sheets and dollars and cents because it's a matter of the heart. And if it's a matter of the heart, it's a matter of worship. And I come back to this name, Mammon, because Jesus puts a personal face on this system and structure that is trying to entice us and is trying to sell us a lie that more and more and more is the way to happiness. That acquisition is the way to happiness. That our value and our worth is tied up in our net worth. Mammon is a personal name because mammon is a personal reality with an intention and a purpose and a will. Mammon has a plan for your life. And it is not to prosper you. Mammon's plan is to, for you to sacrifice everything you can for the elusive promise of more. His will is to coerce us, to drive us, and ultimately enslave us. How do we combat the destructive desire to worship mammon? Jesus' answer is open-handed generosity. To put our treasure where we want our heart to be. That is what it is to store up treasure in heaven. So let's make this very clear. God is not only interested in your money. He is interested in you. In everything that you are and everything that you can be because you are his image. Andy Crouch has an amazing book that I highly recommend, which is The Life You Are Looking For. And it's primarily about technology, but he has a, a very uh, arresting and a challenging chapter on mammon. And what Andy Crouch says is that God has designed human beings as heart, soul, mind, strength complexes who are meant to give everything that we are to God and each other. And that what our economy sometimes does and what our technology sometimes does is abstract us from one or more of those dimensions. That we lose our heart, that we lose our strength, that we lose our mind. That we give something of that away to get ease or luxury. 
But God is after the fullness of who we are. And what Jesus says is that our treasure and our heart go together. Because we are a total person, and because our money is a conduit to our heart, that's why Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so money is a matter of the heart, and because it is a matter of the heart, it is also a matter of discipleship. That to follow in the way of Jesus is to seek to live into how he teaches us to be open-hearted, to be open-handed, to be generous. Jesus in Matthew 22 has, is in the context of the temple. He's moving towards his passion and the, the leaders are really ramping up their effort to bring him down. So they set a trap with this question about the tax to Caesar. And Jesus takes it from the abstract to the concrete and he holds the coin up and he says, whose picture is this? Well, it's the picture of Caesar. He says, well, if it has the image of Caesar on it, it belongs to Caesar. And then he says, render to God's what is God? Well, what has the image of God on it? That's us. Our, whole, our heart, soul, mind, strength complex is what we are to render to God. What belongs to Caesar? This little coin. What belongs to God? Us. Everything. So the whole story hinges on the idea of that image. We bear the image of God. And following the path of Jesus is to grow into the fullness of our image bearing which means to recover who we are as heart, soul, mind, strength, complex beings who are meant not to partition ourselves. This is my emotional life, this is my strength life, this is my mind life, and I separate them, but wholeness and integrity. That's the other side of when we talk about our value of wholeness and healing, the integration of everything that we are, because God is not just interested in my soul, He's interested in my body, my mind, my emotions, everything that I am, and so it is with you. So the question becomes, how do I render myself to God as his image bearer? That is the central question of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And what we do with our money is a part of that. It's, it's a key part because of the connection with our hearts. Because where my treasure is, my heart will be also. Let me put this in a more American, maybe slash Texan blunt way. Put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> if you're talking about it, do you back it up? This last week, Dave and I were in um, Florida for a clergy retreat in the Anglican Mission, and we were hosted by this family, um, and they modeled generosity. They literally don't lock their door. Now, I wouldn't recommend that in Dallas. <laughs> Maybe if you live in the panhandle of Florida, you can do that. But it was a picture of the way that they lived their lives. People were coming and going the three days that we were there. One morning we went fishing, and I'll, someday I'll tell you the story of what happened on that boat to me and how I made wonderful friends with a bucket. But at five in the morning, our host was up making us sandwiches so that we could go fishing. That's generosity, that's open-heartedness, that's open-handedness. I deposited that sandwich back into the ocean, <laughs> but that is another story. Maybe when we talk about Jonah, I'll talk about that story. And if you really wanna know, Dave will show you the picture. 
So, yes, Lord have mercy. So there is a direct line between our heart and our money, and if this is the case, if we want to follow Jesus, we have to ask where our heart is and where we want our heart to be. That's the diagnostic question. Where is my heart now in relation to mammon, and where do I want my heart to be, and how do I move towards open-heartedness, and how do I move towards open-handedness with everything that I have? And as we walk this path, we walk a path of freedom, and that's the third point, that money and our resources is a matter of freedom. Our collect for today, the collected prayer and thought, used this phrase, the liberty of the abundant life. I love that. The abundant life is the life of Jesus. I have come and you give life, and to give you abundant life, life to the full, life to the max. And how do we get that? We follow in the way of Jesus. And there's freedom in that. The other place where Jesus talks in depth about our possessions is Luke chapter 12, and there he says, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Draw the contrast between the abundance of possessions and the abundance of life. And what some movements of minimalism and simplicity draws back to is that those two things are not equated. The abundance of possessions is not the exact same thing as the abundance and the liberty of an abundant life. In fact, sometimes they're very different because our stuff can start owning us. The way Paul puts it in 1 Timothy 6, another classic passage about what Christian generosity is, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. If I can live with enough and give away the rest, then I'm called into a contentment, which is a kind of freedom. Can you imagine just being content with what you have? How free would that feel? I'm asking, how free would that feel? Because <laughs> I don't know, always. Jesus' teaching on money and generosity is meant to call us beyond anxious worry and false worship into the freedom of an open-hearted life. And the freedom of the open heart is tied, tied to the freedom of the open hand. Because we are heart, soul, mind, strength complexes, it's a two-way street. What we do with our bodies matters. Well, we, our heart expressing ourselves through what we do in the world, so open-heartedness and open-handedness are connected. So to move into generosity is to move into freedom. This is why Jesus says it is more blessed to give than receive. So, what am I asking of you? What is God asking of us, more pointedly? What I would ask you is to consider this, this matter of money and generosity at the level of the heart and to prayerfully consider how God is calling you to the standard of generosity. Not primarily as a math problem. At some point, yes, you have to decide how much and at what frequency and all that stuff, but as a matter of the heart. Remember that Jesus is yes. He's a yes and to the prophetic tradition. So when we talk about the tithe, we can talk about the tithe as a place to aim, a place to start, but not the end of the story the 10% being the end of the story. Somebody asked C.S. Lewis, how much should I give? And he gave a great answer. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give, 
I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, and amusement is up to the standard common of those with the same income as my own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things that we'd like to do but cannot because our charitable expenditure excludes them. So he's saying we have to, we can't just say, here's my number, I never have to think about it again. We have to, not constantly, but with some periodic um, frequency, revisit the question. How is Jesus in this season calling me to the standard of generosity? So that's what I would leave you with, because the economy of the kingdom does work differently than the economy of the world, and certainly differently than the economy of mammon, but there is only one way to test that economy, and it's to participate in it. And I think that that is the principle that we can still take from Malachi, because God says, test me. And he says, I don't change. So that's worth meditating on, because he says, if you're generous, I'm gonna be generous to you. And that is what the kingdom is. It's a kingdom of reciprocity. I've seen in my parents' life, in many of your lives, you give sacrificially and then God give back to you. It doesn't always work in a one-to-one ratio, but I've seen the math of the kingdom work. And the math of the kingdom is 10, 100-fold, where God gives back to you more than you could ever give to anybody else. So I'm going to close with four practices for you to think about. Make this very practical. As we think about moving into standard generosity, my encouragement to you is to start where you are, not where you should be. Okay, I go to a gym that I have no business going to. They do things there that my body will never do. And one of the coaches, he just says, like, do the weight that you can do at the pace that you can do it. And if I'm looking at the guy next to me, he's doing a lot more, much faster and with greater efficiency. But I have to start where I am, not where I think I should be. Because I can grow in my strength. I'm better than I was at the gym but I'm still not there. Start where you are, not where you should be. So how much am I giving now? Do I even think about it? Is God calling me to greater frequency? Is God calling me to a greater amount? Those are the questions around start where you are, not where you should be. I would also say that a kingdom principle is the principle of first fruits, to give to God first. So when we get paid, whatever it is that we've determined to give God, that we would do that first. The principle of first fruits. Another way to think about this, this is another practice, is to divert one expense to generosity. Not in its totality, but necessarily, but to revisit you know, things like food. When my wife and I got really serious about budgeting and we started slotting in that eating out category, oh man, there's so much more than I thought it was. I mean, I knew it was bad. Like I had an intuitive sense that it was not good but it was so bad. And just backing off from eating out, diverting an expense to generosity. And here's the fourth practice, and I think this is the practice of practices. As you move into generosity, pay attention to your heart. Is God bringing you greater freedom? Are you feeling less attached to your things? Do you feel less the need to acquire. 
That's what the freedom of generosity. So as you move into generosity, pay attention. Let's pray. Lord, um, I thank you. Truly, I thank you that you take the fullness of our lives into account. That you're not just interested in us as disembodied spirits or souls, but the material circumstances of our lives. That you've made us heart, soul, mind, and strength complex beings meant to worship you with everything that we are. And we recognize that our possessions, our money is a part of that. So help us to be faithful. Help us to test you as we move into generosity. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God of reciprocity who multiplies back to us anything we could ever give to you because you are gracious and kind and good. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.